me and Freddie in conversation three went deep into roots. We start off in the mountains because Reddy has just come home from two weeks in the Himalayas. But we dive deep, deep into roots and the roots that come from or go into place as in geographical place. As always, it's a treat to talk to, to Reddy because there's, you know, just the fact that he, he comes from a place that is very far away from my place. He's, you know, he comes from India. I come from Sweden. There is a big difference there. And that difference is worth cherishing. That difference is worth preserving in the sense that we don't lose our sense of place, which we both think, both I have, we have, but also this is what we see rivers. We have a, a global movement of making everything bland where the, the uniqueness of a place, of a space, of a culture kind of is you know, trimmed away uh, so that you can get everything everywhere. And what's the fun in that? So join us on this two and a half hour deep dive into roots and place. This How is well. It's funny. Um, I was. I woke up at seven twenty-three. I looked at the at the clock, which uh -huh. I usually wake up around six. But it was like, no, I'll just lay in bed a little while longer. So I lay in bed a little while longer. Finally, thought, well, it's time to to. Turn on the lights and read a little bit. I turn my head and I look at the clock and it reads 9.53. And I'm going, <laughs> shit, I have a podcast to record in seven minutes. <laughs> so, a little bit, you know, just getting away, you can say. Um, that's me. All right. So let me, I hope I'm able to brighten up your morning That's and what wake I you hope. up with yes. a whole bunch of conversational chaos. Because I think that's what you will be doing because <laughs> you have one, it's what, 10, 11, 12. It's what, 1, one thirty. Yeah, it's, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. 2.30 in the afternoon. So you've been up for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, you have been to the Himalayas. Yes. Oh, my God, I've been so excited about that. <laughs> I am so, I'm so curious. I want to know 
why you went, what you did, where you went, what it was like, what you learned, how you played. I want to know it all. So. Oh man, this was, this was actually very, like, I had no inclination to go anywhere where it was cold. I was like, oh my God, it's already winter. I didn't want to go anywhere where it was cold. I was like, not the snow, not the snow. So I was playing something more to the northeast of India, which is more like dense, forested and cold, but not as snowy unless you go really high. Right. And, but the Himalayan belt is like predominantly snow clad during this time. And most of the higher regions are like, even like, don't even allow you to go up there because it's really too cold. And I was like, okay, I am not going anywhere there. But then I was like, you know, a friend of mine just brought this idea. Why don't we go for a trek? And I was like, oh, okay. And then my brother threw out this thing and he's like, why don't you go to the Himalayas? And he's like, no, I'm going to the Himalayas. Let's go for a trek. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're not going to go to a cold place. Like that's the last place I want to go. But surprisingly enough, I just, you know, I just said, okay, wait a minute. Everything is in place. I don't have to plan anything. Everyone knows where they're going. So I just like tagged along. And before you knew it, I was up in the hills. I had no idea what I was doing. I've never done a winter trek. I didn't know what, you know, I didn't ex know what to expect from this. And it was the most incredible experience because I mean, it was just around about Christmas. I celebrated Christmas up in the hills. It just snowed, fresh snow just for Christmas. And I had this, you know, everything just seemed to fall in place. Everything just seemed to fall in place. Mm -hmm. So it was you, your brother, and a friend, or were there more of you? Yeah, the, eventually there turned out to be more people because it turned out to be like there was a group sort of a track going on, and so we just tagged along, and there was a bunch of people, some of them whom we knew, some of them were complete strangers, and so it was a very eclectic interaction. So it wasn't just limited to known people, it wasn't just limited to unknown people, it was a mix of both. And even even the... The idea that, you know, it, I'd been to the Himalayas, but I hadn't been in this sort of an experience where it was an organized trek and people are doing this work. And normally I spend a lot of my time doing solo travel. So for me, this was a very strange experience. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, so many people and mm -hmm. like so many different kinds of people. And there was someone who was like 60. There was someone who was just like barely 25. So there was this. Completely, you know, it was like an intergenerational playground of sorts. Like, so it was very exciting just to be in the midst of, like, normally when I go up on to the hills, it becomes a solo experience. It becomes one of those retreat kind of experience where I retreat into myself, right? It's just me, myself, the elements, the animals, but then they aren't interactive, right? I mean, I always think of plants, animals, rocks you know, the actual mountain itself as animate creatures, except they don't interact with me. They are alive, but they're not interacting. And I just don't understand what, how they interact. Uh, right? But this time, there were actual people who I was interacting with. So it was a very strange, surreal experience where I was up in the hills, in my, you know, spiritual playground of sorts, and with people. Like, that was very beautiful. So I... I mean, I know that the Himalayan mountains are like, it's more than 
Mount Everest and K2 and, and all of this, but, but the him, I've never really thought about the Himalayas. So, so it's like, I'm guessing that's a, that's a big area. Really broad stretch. It, it, it's probably the entire upper limits of India. It's like everywhere from the extreme west, you yeah. know, bordering Afghanistan, Pakistan, right up the other extreme, you know, borders with Myanmar. And so it mm -hmm. goes the entire thing. And it, there, there was, there was this Nepal right above, and then there's parts of China exposed as well, which was earlier Tibet, but it's now China. So yes, but it, it's practically, I mean, like the Himalayas essentially what prevented a lot of innovations coming in from the top. Precisely, precisely. Um, and I mean, India is not a small country, like country-wise, land-wise, it's a huge country. <laughs> and, and as a Swede, you know, you kind of look at the little tip of India and think that that's India, but you can flip that tip and, and it's like, it's, it's bigger above the tip. Right. It's like, it's, that's, that's what you see on the map because it's such a visible, but it goes a long way up, uh, sort of in the continental, um, regions up there. Cool. So what, how was this playground for you this time? What was different? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I, I just said early on that everything went perfectly as expected or as unexpected, but it's amusing because practically everything that could go wrong went wrong. So I actually landed up with diarrhea, so I couldn't eat, like I was starving myself so as to, you know, relax, give my, you know, the digestive tract some rest. I was like, okay, okay, you, you guys, you know, having some issues, I'm not going to tax you, I'm not going to eat food and just going to take it easy. But I also had to climb the mountain, you know. And I need energy for that. So what, what do I do? So eventually I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I mean, I, I came up, I, I had it very simple in my head. I was like, I came up to the mountain to climb. So what do I have to do? I have to climb. That's about it. Like that's nothing else to do. So I, I said, I actually just started climbing and then turned out I had some sort of a you know, pulmonary edema, congestion of sorts, because, you know, I don't know, some sort of altitude sickness sort of a thing. And again, I was like, okay, what do I do? Do I return back? Do I stay there? Do I just spend time in the camp and wait for everyone to complete their climb and come back down? And, and again, I just had this singular thought. I was like, why did I come up here? I came here to climb. Hmm. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I had this like, you know, very single-minded focus, but I wouldn't say like, it, it wasn't something that I was like, I have to do this. This wasn't one of those, you know, full-headed white knuckle sort of a thing that I have to do this and I'm going to do it. It was just more like a matter of fact sort of thing. Okay. The chips are down, odds are against me. Things are not going as I wanted them or would prefer them to be. But Hey, this, this is the Himalayas. Like this is the mountains and the mountains, the weather changes like this, right? Like you could have like perfect blue skies and like, you know, perfect visibility and all of that. And all of a sudden there's a snowstorm and you can't see anything. You can't see on feet as you're walking, you know, that sort of a thing. And I was like, what if, you know, life circumstances are the same way? Like when I can accept that the weather can possibly up here in these altitudes change so rapidly that I am 
you know, that I either, I either accept that this is how it's going to be or, you know, I try to fight against it, but it's not, I'm not going to win. And what if I look at the life circumstances of what was happening to me, right? There is the same way. Like I came here, nobody plans to get diarrhea before they climb a mountain. <laughs> but I was like, okay, what if this is happening to me? And I just like go with it. And I, I started, I, I was like, okay, can I do this? And I just went through a quick checklist of my physical capabilities and weather and else and the resources at hand and the support system and considering all of those I did a quick check and I was like okay this is doable it's hard it's crazy it's probably going to be you know I'm going to be regretting it every single moment when I'm climbing <laughs> but it is possible right it, and I was like that's it's all I need to know it is possible for me specifically in this specific situation provided it doesn't get and he was, right? So I was like, okay, let me give it a try. And that's exactly what I did. I just like, you know, I just, I didn't look at the sites. It's very interesting. I mean, like all of the photographs that I took were, you know, was just like, you know, quick, one click, one click, one click. And that's about it. Like I didn't spend minutes now setting up and get like shot, none of that. Right. So there was a sense that my focus was not on the journey in the sense of looking at the sites, how beautiful the view is what's on the way and all of that. It was more, I would say like 80% of it was just me trudging. Got this load on my back. I like a goofball. I probably can't more than I should have. So it's a little heavier than expected. But I could just think of one thing. I have two feet mm-hmm. and I place one in front of the other and then I place the other in front of the other. And that's all I've got to do. Like life just felt so simple in that moment like that's all right like that's all I had to do and it didn't matter that I'm you know I'm not I was trying to do that I was trying to say oh you have to look at the sites that's what you came up to the mountains for that's what you came up these this height these heights this altitude for to look at the sites but incredibly I just found myself gravitating back it was just just looking down looking at my feet watching where I'm putting my step Right? Just being very careful aware, consistently just moving forward. Like I, even the goal didn't matter to me. It wasn't like, oh, I have to summit this mountain. It was just like, hey, right before left, left before right, right before left, left before right. And it just felt so simple. And at the end of it, I had no, like, it didn't feel like I'd achieved something like humongous and like, this is a great accomplishment. I had zero. I have absolutely no sense of accomplishment or achievement, but I had this deep sense of satisfaction. And, you know, it's just like a very, ah, uh, it felt joyous, but not that kind of like exhilarating, <laughs> exultant kind of a joy, but just like this deep seated satisfaction. Ah, uh, I'm just where I need, right? That was it. It was just so beautiful. Like there was, it wasn't one of those, oh, I'm on top of the world sort of thing. It just was like, oh, I'm, I'm where I need to be. I'm where I ought to be at this point of time. It's interesting to hear you. Cause I can, I can, let's put it this way. I actually don't have a 
a problem imagining either of those two states with you because you've shown enough for me to know that the, the kind of the bubble shaking out of the, just spraying out of the champagne bottle, that can definitely be you. But I don't have a, a, you know, a hard time imagining you in this, just this kind of still pondness satisfaction type style too. Um. But it was, it was, it was strange for me in a sense, like mm. I haven't, I mean, that's not something I look at as my default state and it's no. something that I haven't really experienced in a sense that, that experience of being in a state where, you know, I'm, I'm not at my best. I'm not at my best. I was really at my worst, right? I was struggling to just be at, at, at bare minimum, like. Normally, I'm like way up there in terms of enthusiasm. And this time, I was like way down there in terms of enthusiasm. In fact, there was absolutely no enthusiasm. I was like, what? We like, I'm watching the temperature fall lower day by day. And I'm, you know, I can feel the, the heaviness of my breath, the harder it gets. And I, there's no, you know, reason for me to continue to do this. I had no desire. This wasn't even my. Yeah, like it didn't really matter. It wasn't like I was waiting for this. A lot of people over there were like, I've been waiting for this for the mm. last 12 months. Mm. You're finally here. It's happening. I can't believe it. Like, right. And there was this incredible enthusiasm. And I was like, I don't feel enthusiasm, but I don't feel anything bringing me down. I don't feel this sense. Like it was like, initially I started off, I was like, oh my God, I'm suffering because like everyone goes to sleep in the camp and I'm like, Every hour I'm waking up, going there, taking a dump, coming back in, finally stuck myself back to bed. And an hour later again, I have to go take a dump. And I'm like, you know, just getting up, getting up, sleeping, getting up, sleeping, getting up, right? And and the first few hours, I just suffered. It was just crappy. Literally crappy. Literally <laughs> crappy, yes. <laughs> I was like, this can't be happening. And, I, and then it took me a while. And I was like, okay. So I moved from the suffering phase of it, mm. where I was cursing and I was, why the fuck is this happening? Like, what did I do wrong? What did I eat? And I'm trying to analyze, like, what went wrong? What were the specific foods that I might, that might have led to this? And I'm trying to, like, you know, cognitively mm. wrap my head around the problem, but I'm suffering. I'm feeling that mm. sense, that emotion of like, this is suffering. And then over a few hours, I started, you know, it just moved into a sense of endure. I suddenly became like a stoic person go to sleep, no sleep, try to get sleep, wake up, okay, come back, like, you know, there's the sense of, you know, I'm immune to the ups and downs of this, and I'm just going through the motions, okay, going through the motions, <laughs> so, it just was like, okay, I'm past the suffering, I'm in mm. the enduring phase, mm. what now? And at some point, every time I do these trips from the 10th, go to the, you know, just go out in the woods, take a dump, come back. And every time I would be like, you know, I'd have this head torch, there would be some light to just sort of shine the way. And at some point it was a red light and it hit a, a, a branch, a, a thorny bush alongside. And I happened to take a picture of the moon at the same time, of the mountain ahead of me or something. 
And interestingly, the red light flashing hit the, the plant and then that came into the frame of the photograph and it looked really freaky because like there was this red plant and like blue mountains and it was an incredible picture. And I was like, how did that happen? And then I was like, oh, it's the torch, right? And then it, it all this, you know, magic. It wasn't a magical moment. Boy, it just made sense. But then I realized that I'm actually, I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed myself during that moment. And I realized, oh, if I was well, I would be sleeping like everyone else in the tent and I would miss the sights. I, I kept seeing the moon because every hour I'd be out and every hour I'd seen the moon at different phases and different you know, positions along the sky. So I, I, I was getting to see all of that, which nobody else was. Mm. So I realized mm. now that I moved from suffering to enduring to now. This was like, wow. I'm the only person who gets to experience this beauty because everyone else is asleep, right? And, and that moment, I was like, oh, this is the best possible thing that could happen to me, right? And then as, I, and as the day continued, as the day dawned and everyone's up and doing about things and like everyone's grabbing breakfast, you know, you're hungry up in the mountains, it's cold, you want something hot. Oh, I can't eat. Like my bad belly, the last thing I wanted to do is eat, attacks my system some more. So I, I was just fasting out of, you know, no choice. I mean, it wasn't really a choice. It was sensible decision to make in that medical situation. Yeah. But then I realized that the fasting was making the experience more heightened. How far up were you altitude-wise? Because I'm guessing that the kind of the, the the lowest part, I'm guessing, is higher than what is sort of sea level. You know, it's it's like even you can't go there and not be elevated in a sense, <laughs> right? I think uh, the maximum we reached was 13,000 feet. In meters, it's probably around 4,000 meters above sea level. Yeah. Yeah, divided by three-ish, mm -hmm. and then you take away a zero. Hmm. Oh, wow. That's high. Yeah, it, it is. It's pretty high. <laughs> and it was interesting, I think, like, you know, the whole idea that I, I generally am a fit person and I thought I was being fit and, and I didn't realize that I made a very, you know, I made a cardinal error because apparently when you're climbing to a higher place, altitude, you got to give yourself time to acclimatize before you start taxing your system. Right. But one of the mistakes I did was I continued keeping up, uh, you know, a sort of a physical exercise regime of sorts. So like I woke up in the morning, I didn't real I mean, it didn't strike me that I'm at a high altitude, I need to be taking care of things. I just got out of the tent and I'm like, you know, just, okay, let me just do 200 burpees. And the next thing I know, I'm just going like, blah, 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 burpee after burpee after burpee after burpee. And I, I felt great because like, you know, it just gives you that energy boost. It makes you warm. You could take off the layers. And before you knew it, by the end of it, I was just in my shorts doing burpees in the mountains. And I was like, oh, yeah. I felt like invisible and all of that stuff. 
And then later on, in hindsight, I realized that because I was taxing my system without giving it time to acclimatize, you know, that was probably one of the reasons why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's, with Matthew and Inma, I've been speaking a lot about, or and, and not just in these conversations that we have here, but about place, how place, physical place, carries with it. You have to relate to the place, right? So you were being in a different place than what your normally is. It is actually trying to communicate with you. Um, but you're not, you know, there's nothing different to this place. I can do what I always do. No, actually, you know, that it, it might have been a, a little delayed response from, from place, but you got it like that's not a good idea because this place has different it's a different physical reality i mean literally it is a f different physical reality if you're up at thirteen thousand feet you know it that does matter yeah i i probably call it arrogance in fact i did write that down a or so into the experience and i just it suddenly dawned on me and I was like, oh, this is me. This is me being arrogant. This is me not being, you know, respectful. Like respectful is not like, oh, this is the land of gods and I'm going to pray to them before I climb the mountain. Like that's, that's just, you know, a ceremonial respect. But the, the very respect of the elements and my understanding, my, my, overbearing dominance over the place, like you said, over the elements and say, oh, I can do this at sea level, so I can do this up here as well, right? Like, and feeling that sense of arrogance that, yes, I did it, right? I did it at sea level. I did it up, up in the mountains as well. I can do it. I'm invincible, right? And there's the sense of, it happens so innocently, like there was no sense that I need to prove a point. But I realized that in a, at a cellular level, that's exactly what I was doing, right? I wasn't being, like, I could have done five burpees, 10 burpees, stopped, paused, felt how, you know, my body is feeling, got a sense of what's happening to my system. Am I right? Should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Like, nope. Let's do more. Let's do more. Let's do more, right? And, and just boil down to that one word. It's arrogance. Like, you know, I can do anything. I'm the king of the mountain. Like, you know, like, I rule nature. Like, nature's beneath me, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> how long have you, how long were you away? Two weeks? Yeah. It was, like, not all of that was up at that high altitude. I came down a little lower after a while, but you know, there's this sense that after I realized that this is this is happening to me, I started 
I won't even say, I think I got acclimatized not just to the climate, but to the whole idea of me being in a place where things are different, the world is different, people are different, the environment is different. And I am different. I'm a different individual up there. Right? Like, I'm not the same person. This is not the same body I came up with, mm. right? That body is different. This body is different. That mind is different. This mind is different, right? And the moment I started accepting and respecting that difference, it was it was incredible. Everything started feeling like it just felt like the mountain opened up to me. I was able to accept everything that the mountain was sharing. You know, I just felt so at peace with everything around me. I felt so comfortable with everything around me. The colder things got, it didn't like, you know, I just started getting more comfortable with things, situations, people. I started, and interestingly, I had this one very scary experience and it had absolutely nothing to do with on, right? And I, like, I'm an addict who has, you know, gone through years of substance abuse and who's been clean for a while now. First thing, you know, you do if you want to stay clean is you stay away from the drugs. That's just hmm. basic 101. You don't go to, you don't go anywhere where there are drugs, right? And you don't hang out with people who do drugs. And interestingly, I found myself in a situation where I was in this room with people and all of them, all of a sudden, just start taking out drugs and doing that, right? And Oops. now I'm like, oh, at first I was like, you know, and I'm even thinking, this is a holiday and it's been like, you know, I have like 17 years of clean time. That is like, wow. That's like, you know, superhuman. I'm like, oh, I can handle it but I think it's beautiful because now I'd understood that the arrogance had shown in the mountains right and I think that lesson had that too what do I do now I have, I have two options right I can, I can go into panic mode which is what I've done early on in my recovery I would be in panic mode if I'd see someone even remotely light up pull out you know pull out some drugs or just possibly even talk about doing them and I would literally run. I would like physically mm. just turn around and Get run the hell as fast out of as there. I can because yeah. I and but that was a panic driven response. That was a panic driven response which served me in the past. But I was like, what do I do now? Right? Do I use that same panic driven response? Or do I bring in this new arrogant response where oh 70 years time and I'm up in the mountains nobody really knows maybe I could just take a hit and it'll all be alright right oh man it was like now that's desire one side of the coin I have fear hmm. and the other side I have fear. up in the hills just gonna take a hit or two and no one's gotta know, nobody's gotta know. I was so excited, so like you know, delirious with joy and delighted with the, just the just the possibility of doing that was getting and I haven't even done anything. I'm just seeing everything being prepared and I'm like just the possibility of doing it and 
nobody need not nobody need to know and it need not even go on my record i could keep coming back to tell everyone that oh i'm still clean i never did anything precisely I mean, nobody 70. but you would know and and i'm just like you know all the while this is going on in my head by now the stuff has started coming out is getting prepared like someone's already joined someone's more chilling someone is like you know pulling out oil to put the brown sugar on so like all of this is happening and I'm like I didn't go to either extreme I didn't run up I didn't satisfy the desire of trying taking a hit I just sat there and when it was offered to me I was like thank you and that was it and i was like oh this can't be happening i'm probably going to give in like right and i was just like this it cannot like it's just right there at arms then right and it, i don't even have to reach out it's being offered, offered to me offered to you yeah didn't take it i didn't ask for me like i didn't like but i did even feel the urge to go closer to probably you know just get some second hand it from that right i just sat there through it all completely like the mountain the mountain couldn't care less if there's a snowstorm if this you know the mountain just sits there because that's what the mountain does that's when it struck me the mountain had become the mountain like for those moments that's what climbing the mountain did for me i'd become the mountain i could sit there undisturbed by what was happening around you right just stay there and allow that storm to you know hem and haul but it did nothing i could feel what it was trying to do i could feel the fear i could feel the desire i could feel the panic i could feel that lust and yet nothing i didn't move towards that i didn't move away from it I was unafraid not lusting i just sat there like That brings tears to my eyes. Because it's, it's like sitting here, listening to you, it feels like, you know, you have me out at the precipice, at the edge of ruin, in a sense, of, of just falling into the, the chasm of, you know, picking up substance abuse again and i'm like holy moly that's you know it's an uncomfortable place just as a just hearing you speak about that oh wow but it is like this I call that state, that state where you were in touch with your innate well-being, 
Um, regardless of the circumstances, it can, like you say, it can be stormy like crazy around you. In your case, people were shooting up and, and doing drugs, right? My case, it's been instances of, of you know, in, in, in relationship with others, in divorces, in, you know, when, when there's lots of like relationship drama going on and I can just be in that place of being the mountain, uh, just, just being and, and kind of not being, not being touched on the inside by it, being aware of this deep, deep, deep well of, of well-being um, and being able to pull from it, kind of. Hmm. Idea that it's not that we are being numb, because that's exactly what numb to sensation feelings. But in this case, I could feel it. I could feel the pull of desire, feel the pull of fear. I could feel all of it intensely, even, but I wasn't acting on it, and I wasn't compelled to act. I could taste the obsession, but there was no compulsive act. Not even like, like I could feel myself being pulled, but at the same time, there was no movement. There was no movement towards it. There was no movement away from it. And there was just this sense, like you said, like a deep well of something that still it's unmoving. It's just rock solid, resolute termination. And yet, it wasn't one of those experiences white knuckling. I won't give in, I won't give in to this, right? It wasn't one of those prudish, non desire, I won't yield to temptation sort of an energy. It was just, just gonna sit here, just gonna experience this moment is a real situation but I am I don't need to be either either of them yeah precisely that was so does this change how you relate to your addiction to your addictive behavior, your addictive history, do you think you will, how has this changed you? You know, going forward from that, will there be a change for you? Or was it just, this was an instance where I will still stay away from drugs and, and drug <laughs> users and, and stuff? Or is it like, okay, I can, I can remain me. Um, you know, how, how, tell me how. I don't think I'm going to make any ground level changes because I think I will still avoid using places, playground. I'm going to put myself, you know, because I realized that that's exactly like this experience. If I would like make this my reality, I'm again showing that. Yeah. Right? And I'll be, 
oh, I did it once, I can do it again. Like, I'm invincible, right? And like, and I realized, no, no, that's, that, that isn't the lesson here. That isn't the experience here. The experience is that I had unlocked a certain kind of an energy. It was new energy mm-hmm. of being. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm literally mercury. I run circles around people. My mind can juggle concepts mm-hmm. from this end to extremes. I can bounce between dichotomies. Just walk path for me, like things that, that require rapidness, quickness, all of those things are like innate to me. Like th- those are energies I've lived with all move places. I can I can embrace a new individual into my life. I can reject an individual from my life like this. Like everything I can do like really fast, like that kind of fast wind like energy is something else. Yeah, I mean, that's who I've been. But this energy of being a mountain, being still, was something I'd never experienced. And maybe that's all it was meant to be. Maybe it was just to give me a taste because I had invested effort. I had devoted my effort towards climbing that mountain. That experience of being a mountain was probably just a gift. It was a gift. Like this is, I want you to know since you climbed me, since you did all this, right? I want you to know how it feels like to be me. And that was probably it. So it, it put me in that situation and it gave me that experience that this is how you can be, like being in the midst of a storm, untouched, unaffected by everything that's happening around you. But if I were to go throw myself into that situation, I think that would just, again, being arrogant and expecting Right. And, and this is these are like this is also a certain sense of, in a way, I can say it was my determination. But reality was there was no determination. There was no effort from my side whatsoever. It was just like an innate thing that happened entirely of itself. Like I never once had to give myself a single affirmation that says, "I will not yield to this temptation." Right? I never heard myself say that even once. There was no impetus from my side. It just happened all by itself. Incredible sense. And I think that if I were to put myself in a situation, I'm just pushing my luck. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe that's all it was, was luck. But experiencing that luck, it, it changed me. It has changed me. It's made me more likely to stay. Like after that, I think probably after that, even though I was, you know, not feeling... Well, like every time I'd see a river or a mountain stream, I would just settle into it. I would spend at least a good 15, 20 minutes lying in ice cold water right up to my neck. And I would just be in that state of equanimity and calm and, you know, that experience of feeling the cold, icy water flow through my body, across my body. And yet feeling like I would just feel like I'm one of those stones in the just lying there along with the other stones and that's just who I am. Right? I just started feeling different energies, which was something that I normally don't feel. I'm just one of those hyper people, but all of a sudden I'm just feeling other extreme. And I feel like that itself was the gift. It's got nothing to do with me becoming a different kind of an individual. I'm still a human. I'm still a physical body. 
if one, you know, hit of that runs into my veins, the next thing, you know, I'm going to be craving for that every single second. I'm not a God, but I did taste that sense of godliness or that aspect of the mountains godliness. Why do we respect mountains? Why do we love mountains so much? Because they're untouchable, right? Mm. They sit there in the middle of all of that, untouchable, whereas we humans can be, you know, thrown around by fear, by desire, any of these emotions can just take us everywhere across the place. But then come rain, come storm, come whatever, the mountains take. Traits I would love to have inside of me, but these are gifts. If mm. I were to start believing that this is me and this is who I am and I could control these all by myself, I don't. Mm. You sound sl- s- softer or lower all of a sudden. Um, I don't know if you're, did you move away from your mic? <laughs> no, no, I think, I, I don't know, maybe it was just, maybe it, you just it does feel lower. like that. Yeah, or lower, yeah. I think it, it this has happened, like, since I've come down, since I've been up there, since I've come down, I've found myself, you know, like, there's a certain, the tonality of my voice has changed, I don't know, just the congestion of my lungs, or whether it's really something that's happening, I don't quite know, but it just, it definitely feels like something has changed. It definitely feels like I've, like, you know, moved through a certain level of something, right? And now that's my new me, right? Like, there are times when you yeah. shift, your paradigm shifts a certain level, yeah. Yeah. and now that becomes baseline. your new. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, it, it's interesting to think about like when you speak about the mountains and, and them being resolute and, and kind of just, you know, they are just there. It's like, yes, they are there. And there's changes for a mountain too, but a much longer arc of time, like human time. It's like, <laughs> that's like the blink of an eyelid for a mountain, you know? But but if you look at the, you know, the Alps um, in, in Central Europe, it's like they are old mountains. They have been around for a long time and they were much, much higher back in the days of, of Alp mountain youthhood. You know, they were much higher, much sharper than what they are now because they have been worn down. So mountains shift, but at a scale that is just surpasses human time frame, time, you know, the arc of the human life. It's like, that's nothing. But stack those up in the millions. (laughs) Now we're talking, right? Now there's something that that you know you can see a shift um so i'm not talking about humans you know mining mountains or you know blowing them up that's not the because that's kind of an artificial shift to them they're not immune to our 
ability to destroy them or to deform them. But, but in and of themselves, just like everything, there is. Everything has that transformative arc. I mean, even stones, based on where they are, they will shift. You know, if it is a stone in a river, given enough time, it does go smoother. You know, it just, that's what will happen until that river is no longer a river. And then it might get, you know, buried under the, under soil and, and it will stay for a long time. But there's still little, little fungi, um, you know, it's slowly eating mm -hmm. away at them, getting minerals and, and, and stuff from them. Uh, so it's, it's an, it's an arc. The arcs of transformations are, just have a different trajectory, different, what do you, would you call that trajectory? Either it's kind of high and short or it's really long. Oh, uh, 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 okay. In terms of a magnitude, like it's still a wave. But Precisely. it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. a different magnitude, right? It yeah. could be a narrow wave yeah. which could yeah. spiky, yeah. just like us, or it could be one of those gradual. Yeah. 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 Like that, that was something like, I, I came across these temples up in the hills, which are like 2,500 years old, yeah. right? 2,500 years old. And I'm like, there's, there's a priest of the temple, he's running through the rituals, he's, he's giving out the whole narrative of the story, when this was built, who built it, why they built it, what's going to happen, complete narrative around the God being worshipped there, who and why, what this way. There's so much context and I'm wondering, like, how is it that this story has how much of that same as how how rapidly is that story changing? If the mountain has been untouched in twenty five hundred years, has that story been equally untouched? Have the rituals not changed because I still see, you know, practically half naked sitting up in the mountain. I'm completely in jackets, and he's like bare naked over. He's it was, how is this man survived cold? How is he man? How am I survived? So much of a complete difference in the way people live up in the mountains. Time, that arc of time hasn't changed for so many No, we come down like, see changes happen rapidly. Born by those changes way up there in the hills, man is as primal and as ancient as a mountain. Just incredible, like people just seem to be living this life where they could be no different from the man who lived there 25. Mm -hmm. But today, like if I'm in, in a modern metropolitan city, 
I'm completely different from the guy who lived in the city 25, let alone 2100. Yeah, it, the city didn't exist 2500 years ago, most likely. <laughs> you know, that mountain sure did exist. That was just a blink of an of a moment ago for the mountain. And again, place comes into it. Place. Because well, I don't, I mean, I live here in Malmö. I've lived in this house. Um, it will be, I've lived in this house 18 years, I think. Which is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. So it's, it's, you know, it's building on me, but I don't have a history. Yes, my mom and my dad, my mom and me and my mom and my dad, they've lived in Malmö, but, you know, a couple of years here, a couple of years there. I don't have any roots. This isn't the, the house that my great, 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 great grandparents built. And, you know, everybody, there's been a generation of, of family living here forever and ever. It's like, so me and this place, we're a new relationship. Whereas that man atop the, the temple in the, in the hills, likelihood is. That's his place because his parents lived there. His great, his grandparents lived there, his great grandparents and his great, 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 however many greats you want to stack up. Chances are at least that he has a long line of, of ancestry, of ancestral relating to this place that of course, like you say, it's kind of harder to know how Mountain people, and I don't mean people living in the mountain, I mean the people that is the mountain, the mountain people and the plant people and the fungi people and the stone people, to use Matthew's terms, how they have been relating to him and his ancestors for, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years. You learn something other, because I wouldn't say that it's, I have, I have had three places where I've felt like this is my place. And interestingly enough, all three of them are here in Malmö, but I have lived in other places too. I've lived in Staffansdorf for seven years. I've lived in, in, uh, Alvika for three years, I was in the U.S. for a year, and I've been in Engelholm for two years. So, you know, a portion of my life, I've not lived here, but the portion of my life that I've lived here, I have lived in one, two... I've lived in three other places in, in Malmö that have not felt like home. It has not been my place. So I have three and three because I have lived in three places here where I feel the sense of home. This is my home. This is where I belong. And I am 
speaking to the stone people and the tree people and the, you know, it's like it, there is that sense of, of, of just the elements that make up my house, the place I live in feels like I am in relationship. I am relating to them because there's, there's some type of mutuality going, you know, and, and one of those places was an apartment up high so less sense of the elements outside but I love that apartment I love the doors of that apartment I love the floors of that apartment you know it's like so so there was an elemental feel to it um, it's wood right and the wood is alive that's that's the sense that I have and I have the same sense here I I I love my house. I, I love this place. And we are relating to one another. Um, but I don't have centuries of relating. You know, my, my, my ancestry has, you know, what I know of my ancestry, there has been movement too. It's like, I don't, I don't know of a place where this is where generations of, of my ancestry has lived. I don't know of such a place might, might exist like further back, but, but I don't, I don't know of it. <clears throat> Very interesting because it just reminded me of something. You know, there's, Vivekananda had mentioned this Indian education system, and he was saying, this is like, I think, years back before he gave his first address, which became one of super famous things. But he mentioned something about, in India, the first education you got was about your ancestral language. Right, and it wasn't just your first name and your last name. You practically had like a dozen names, which made up, which made you up, right? And you literally had to know each one of them. I am so and so, son of 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 so and so, and it just goes on and on. And I would like literally scoff at this. Right, growing up, I was just grew up in a very modern metropolitan world. I didn't even speak my language. I just grew up. English, yeah, like it. Really, I, I, I could. Yeah, I, I, I'm practic. I still can't speak my native tongue. What's your and native tongue? My native tongue is Telugu. Okay, it's, Telugu. it's a South Indian language, mm -hmm. which I have absolutely no idea of. I mean, like every time I even try to open my mouth, I make a complete and utter fool of myself. It's uh -huh. ridiculous. And I think in English, I speak in English, I write in English. Like if I have to converse in any of the other languages, I think in English and then I translate and then I say things out. Right. And oh, then there's like, wow. the was I can speak it pretty well. I mean, I can speak a bunch of, I can speak at least five Indian languages and I can speak them decent enough to survive in that kind of a situation. So but which ones do you speak? Something. You speak Hindu? I speak Hindi. Hindi, I speak um, Tamil, I speak Kannada, I speak uh, a little bit of Nepali, I speak um, a little bit of Malayalam, and 
Well, that's it. I, a little bit of Telugu. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> okay. Right. And, and, and I technically learned to speak Sanskrit in school, but it's not a language that anyone speaks. So it's not mm. something I can converse it's in. It's like Latin. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's just so, and I realize now that what he was saying as he was speaking is that that's it. Like, what is the point in me studying the history of the world? What is the point in me studying the history of a land which is 10,000 kilometers away from where I live? When I don't know the history of my people, I don't know the history of my land. It's, it's, it's a wrong basis to build an education upon. Like, because at the end of the day, this is my reality. Because now if you look at it, even science says, the best diet suited to you is probably, is, is, is the diet that your ancestors grew up eating. Right. And now if I don't have any of that knowledge, now I have to go roundabout. Now I go to school, I study science, and then I go deeper into that and I find out what my ancestors did and where they came from. So I'm going a complete roundabout route just to come back to figuring out what is the ideal food for me as an individual to eat. Yeah. Whereas if I had started from this side, I start off with, oh, this is what my parents ate, this is what their parents ate, this is what my grandparents ate, this is what blah, 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 blah. I had the knowledge right there, which is practical, which is necessary, which is something that impacts me on a regular basis. But no, I've completely missed that boat. And today it's reached a stage where I don't even know my own native language. Like I can't understand it. If I meet, like I, I go to the villages my parents grew up in and I start meeting people and they're like, oh, you do you know who I am? I'm, I'm, like, I'm, and they can spin out a complete family tree in their minds, and these are like 80-year-olds, 90-year-olds who would be completely senile in, in an urban scenario, who probably wouldn't remember their own names in modern cities. But in the villages, these same 80, 90-year-olds can even spin out an entire family tree to me, which branches out many generations into the past, right? At the age of 80 and 90, like, how is it possible? Like, I cannot, like, fathom the idea that like, and then that, then it makes me realize like, oh, so if they're focused on this knowledge, which they believe is not only something that they learned to showcase as an accolade, as a certificate, as an achievement, but as something that they now need to pass on to the next generation, there's a sense of purpose as to why yeah. they, yeah. why kept. they need to retain yeah. Which is, ah, uh, it's like my, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, she died in 2016, two weeks before her 98th birthday, I think. And she had been living for most of her life. She had been on, on the west coast of Skeona, which is the very tiniest tip of, of Sweden, right? She'd been there. She'd been in a little town called Herganas for, well, at least 70, 75 years, I would say. And, and before that, she'd grown up not far from there. Like, you know, so it was in that area. And, Same week. And when she uh, got old 90 plus she started to to kind of lose a little bit of her abilities and and my 
My aunt lived on the east coast in a lovely little town called Kyohas. And my maternal grandmother, I think she was 95 when sort of the, the family rallied together and moved her from Helganas to Ewahus to an apartment and she got an apartment in kind of one of these um, service homes where everybody has an apartment and you don't have to have any help but if you need help there's helps to have and there's a communal dining hall where you can come and, and get food and stuff but it wasn't long and and i'm not you know i'm not definitely not blaming my aunt for any of this because it was really it was really good to know that there was somebody close to my grandmother so no like but but in the context of what we're speaking about it's interesting how place can can keep you perhaps well-abled longer because it wasn't that long until dementia started to set in quite severely and i mean she was 98 so you know but but so after a couple of years in that apartment she moved to a dementia home and and but but it's 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 an interesting thought experiment if 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 her trajectory would have looked the same if she had been in the surroundings where she knew every street, every house, everything. She wasn't too fond of all of the modern stuff. Let's me put it that way. You know, because she had 75 years in that little town, right? And But it's interesting because I think you are pointing to something there. This relationship to place and people and purpose like that not not purpose as in this is like my life purpose but but in i have something of value to give to provide and, and there's a place for me in this place right <clears throat> Yeah. That makes like that, that that is that's exactly what it feels like, right? Like if you look at it today, like people retire at thirty at sixty, right? And what do you do after sixty? You have nothing to do. Like there's no purpose because you absolutely have no purpose in society once you retire from a functional job. Nobody wants anything to do with you. Like if you're an Indian, today what happens is like if you if you have kids and the, those kids have kids, like once you're retired, you just become a glorified babysitter and you're just like, oh, we would love to have you over in the U.S. and why don't you come and visit us? But then essentially you just bring them over so that you can have three babysitters, mm -hmm. right? And it, that becomes like even then you're just working, mm -hmm. right? That becomes you don't have knowledge. You're, 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 in fact, you're categorically told don't teach the kids anything. Just change the diapers, give them food, do the basic stuff. It's not your job to teach them. They go to school, don't fill the heads with nonsense. With the old right? Indian like, rubbish, yeah. Yeah, right? So you're 
now you're even making it worse because now you're making them ashamed of the knowledge that they have accumulated, that they got from their ancestors, their ancestors got from their ancestors. So, you know, there's this, there's this colonial guilt that was left behind Brits, and now it's more of a modern, you know, reinforcement of that guilt. Like, we don't want to teach the kids superstition. The kids are going to school, they have their source of knowledge. But then it's very interesting. Now, why would that individual want to live? From a primal perspective, their job was to propagate as a school. So first they procreate. So they did that. They procreate you and now you have procreated another. What's still keeping them alive? There's no reason for them to be alive unless there was something still left to plant. Stories, right? Because that that's essentially what humans do. We pass on stories from generation to generation. The old man by the fire, that old group of the old man by the fire, the grandfather having all the grandkids around, telling them stories of the old days. Like this is this is this is a standard timeline of history, regardless of the civilization or culture mm -hmm. that come from. The old tell stories so the youth them stories. This goes on, but you know now it just seems like yeah, cut it right there. Yeah, education has yeah really cut yeah. a cut a line through that one. I think, and I think, like when you say the power is in the place, right? Like, and finding our connection to that place. Like for me to go up to the mountains was me encroaching a space where I didn't belong, but by sacrificing my effort, time, you know, I proved myself worthy of being a part of it. And then the mountain embraced me. Oh, okay, you're welcome. Come on in, right? And in a sense, that's exactly how it was. And, and today, that's essentially, even in a place I grew up in, in a place I belong to, a place, like if you ask me, those mountains are places where I feel like I'm right. The first time I ran away to the Himalayas was when I was barely 16, 17. I ran away. I lived up in the hills for almost a couple of years. Lost, all alone, single, scared, child. Well, I was stoned as fuck, but there's still, like, you know, mm -hmm. you're up there in the hills, you have no idea who you are. There's, like, all kinds of people you meet and, like, I lived in that world and I, I never, ever felt mm. there was something strange. But I had grown up in a completely urban environment. I'd never even been to a village on just passing by, looking through a car window, never even. All of a sudden, I'm in the middle of the hills where time could be like, you know, 2,500, 3,000 years ago. No one would know the difference. It was world steeped in ancient traditions. And I was there. But yet I never felt strange. I never felt like, oh my God, what is this place? I never felt like this weird. I never felt like this is awkward. And I just felt so much at home. So for me, in a sense, I would say that the Himalayas are home. Even though I've probably just been there twice in my lifetime. Once for two years and once for two weeks. Right? Mm -hmm. But in, but then that's the, that's sense of antiquity, that sense of belonging to a time and place. Like when you say place, finding your place in that place, 
place also denotes time. Mm. My place in the timeline mm. of history, my place in that timeline. So maybe I don't have that much of a connection to my immediate family because I have a deeper connection to something far more ancient. Or maybe it's because of this, I, I don't really know, but there's the sense that I do feel like a sense of love. And if you put me in any modern urban scenario, whether it's New York or whether it's Bombay or whether it's Hong Kong or whether it's Shanghai, I would feel very comfortable because I know I'm a man of the world. I'm worldly wise. I'm street smart. I can survive anywhere in any situation, anyhow. But I don't feel a sense of belonging. I'm super comfortable in any of these situations. It's because I'm just savvy with the way things work in, in cities. But there's no deeper sense of belonging. Don't feel like, ah, oh, this deep connection. I don't feel that. They take me up in the hills where there's, you know, practically no running water, nothing. And then, you know, have to get up in the morning, chop wood to heat water for your tea, right? This, like that entire process, which is nothing like it. Like I live in a place where like I can microwave anything I like I have. You know, I have high-speed internet, and yet that that inner sense of belonging is is zero here. It is just like if no one could tell from the outside, but I don't feel it. But I go up there, but it's obvious I don't belong. I'm an urban human. I don't have the physicality. I don't have the physiology. I don't have the survival skills to live up there, and yet. There's the sense of connection. Oh, I know this place. This place knows you. Right? It's the other way around as well. Does the place know you? Because there are places where you feel like you are drawn. Right? You feel drawn to a place. Like, why would that be? If I've never been to that place. How can I feel drawn to a place? It's because the place knows me. And it makes me wonder, if I... If I look at, if I kind of, you know, step outside and observe myself in relation to various places, put me in a modern city and there is nothing. Put me in an old city, like the old parts of London, the old parts of Amsterdam. There's a lovely little town, um, in Sweden, even further south than I am, it's called Ista. Old parts there, you know, it's like, put me in anywhere that has like three, four, five, six, a thousand years back and something happens in me. So I have no, you know, I've, I've been to... I've been to the big cities of, of the U.S. I've been to New York and Washington, D.C. I've been to Los Angeles. I've been to San Francisco. <clears throat> you know, there are parts of San Francisco that pulls because it looks and feels much more European city-ish than, than what the others does. But basically, no. But but a few of the old cities of 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 Europe, it's like, ooh, 
I don't feel that in Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden, even though it has been a place, you know, it has a long history, at least a thousand years. Um, what would be a yeah um, and stuff, but that is a town basically built on islands. So it's it's there's rocks stones and there's water there's too little wood around for me so it's a hard place for me it can be really super beautiful you know stockholm can be a very 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 pretty town like in, and the waters because it's basically built on seven islands and then it's been crisscrossed and you know but but so water is a part of it but there's also rock stone and a lot of you know they they blasted it away to make roads and stuff so it's like it's it's a hard it it looks hard and i don't have that pull for it even though there are old parts of the town that are super beautiful but there's too little wood around i need more wood for some reason i need more wood for me to really be like putting down my roots somehow it feels like it's not possible to that extent to do that in Stockholm because it's so stony <laughs> um but put me in in a place where I love the water but somewhere where there's also not so much stone so that there's soil so that there is the possibility for roots there is the possibility for trees and something starts to happen in me. Like in this case, if you're looking to grow your roots someplace, right, and now it becomes that much more important for your future generations to remember that this is where our mother grew her roots grow. It goes on that way. So if they're are no roots, then you feel this urge where you want to sink your roots into something, right? And when there are roots where you're already a part of you know, the roots that exist, now it just becomes, it, it's almost like it becomes a necessary progression to understand where I come from, right? Because if you already have roots, then you don't have to struggle. You don't have to struggle. You just have to Tap in and accept the gifts that your roots, you know, worked so hard in the past for. Why do we romanticize struggle? Like, I feel like in a sense that living in a city is about romanticizing struggle. Like, if you go to Bombay, people who come to Bombay are called strugglers, like literally strugglers, because they come there with dreams to make it big. Everyone's looking for the two Fs, fame and fortune. And they're like, oh, I need to go through the grind. I'm going to sleep in a little, you know, cub hole until I make it big in the industry. And then I'm going to be this incredibly rich, famous person. Like, until then, I'm going to struggle. And it's strange that the person probably is already rich. He lives in a, in a village far away where his family has already built up enough things. He can live comfortably in that world, but he wants to struggle. Again, and I wonder 
like it, it's strange because if you look at it from 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 of from a plant kingdom sort of an experience, some plants require their seeds to be sown far away. They do spread by the wind and the way, but some are designed to fall right where they are. It, they're not meant to be carried away for miles and miles. Some are just meant to fall. And I wonder, like, if this knowledge that we spoke about, about knowing about our ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors, that just helps us understand what kind of plant we are. If we are the kind that is, you know, that needs oh, beautiful. to spread away, mm-hmm. right? Or are we the ones who just fall where we are and then we continue growing from right where it is, right? And... Like, like some plants require other animals to come and, you know, chew the seed, take them away, put them elsewhere. So, you know, is there a possibility that there's someone else who will involve me? Like, I think this knowledge of myself, right, who I am, and what kind of you know, creature I am, what kind of individual I am, would make the whole, and I feel like that's why we're lost, right? Like, if, if I had this knowledge right from the beginning, the whole concept of a career counseling, of a you know, growth path, what do I do when I'm 18, you know, that sort of thing. It's already too late. Like, this is probably stuff that we should have, like, figured out by the time we're eight. And it's not knowledge that's given to us by the system, but it's knowledge that comes from within through stories. Like, someone, like, five-year-old kids sitting around the fireplace listening to grandpa, telling us stories, and those stories, like, seep in. And, you know, help us understand who we are, what we belong to, and how we, uh, you know, you know, how it's easiest for us to grow. What is, what is our innate nature, right? Like, people yeah. from a certain kind of a place have a certain kind of a trait, right? Like, why would the Vikings, those are the traits of the Vikings. You're not going to expect people in a forest to have those same kind of traits because those are traits evolutionarily designed for people who live in those kind of climates, mm-hmm. right? Just like me thinking that a boy from the plains can go up to the mountains and start doing things when my lung capacity is probably one third that of a mountain man, right? Mm-hmm. And a mountain man coming down to the plains and feeling like, oh, I can, you know, do everything that the people from the plains can do. But no, I mean, like, it's just like, there are certain things which would make it an uphill struggle for me. Like, there are certain things which would be an uphill struggle for someone from the mountains. If I knew my story, if I knew my ancestors' story, if I knew the places I belonged to and the places we lived in, right? even if you're a Romanian gypsy and your, your family line has yeah. traveled from yeah. India to Romania, it's still you now know that you have the traits of a nomad. Mm-hmm. You have certain traits which make you highly adaptable, right? And so now you can start channelizing on those strengths which you inherently and genetically And it, you life. know, it's like there's a lot of talk and, and kind of... Um, when it comes to this career, find your purpose um, spiel going on about what did you like to do when you were a little kid? That is where you will find it. What did you do when you were eight? Um, 
and and I don't see that being told to 18-year-olds. I see that being told to 40-year-olds who are having their midlife crises, you know? So it's like we 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 put all this this layer. It's like we enamel ourselves into something else. We mold ourselves and shape ourselves into something that we're not. And then when you know there's a crack because something happens you'd have that midlife crisis or you know whenever it happens to you for some or other reason that's when you start to hear these questions well what did you do when you were five when you were seven when you were eight what did you like to do um and 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 you find people around you where who knows that who 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 both for themselves it's like i do this and this is what i did or who remembers me okay you when you were eight you were doing this helena huh and and it's it can be so freeing it can be so liberating to kind of oh yeah because like you say there's something there and I I do believe that there's like mutations, right? So me and my brother, if I had had more siblings, it's like it's not necessarily so that each and every one of us grows up to be the seed that should just drop down and plant where you are. One of us might have turned into a dandelion seed that is one of those that needs to go with the wind for a long, long time. So it's not as if it's, you know, people have to stay and stick to what this is what my family has done for generations. No, but there's something to that. And knowing that and knowing yourself, knowing, seeing, you know, if, and and I'm guessing in the, There, there's today, there's the possibility of freedom to that. I think I'm free to do this, that, or the other thing that maybe wasn't there for, for many millennia, possibly. But I do think in, or I hope, I hope. That in, in maybe more indigenous cultures, that not modern man culture, that if you have a village and you, you live in a, in a smaller village and you have, you know, you're, you're relating to each and every one of the other people in the village and it takes a village to raise a kid. So if I'm drawn to, to be with a weaver, even though she's just my, you know, aunt three times removed or whatever i'm not drawn to what my mother is doing or what my father is doing i'm drawn to what she's doing i'm hoping that okay here's a potential little weaver living inside of helena let us tend to that aspect of helena whereas my sibling might go i want to do what my father does and he's a he's a farmer or you know and and, and so in this sense of of kind of helping us 
to help each other by allowing what wants to come through you. What is it that draws you? Where, where's the pull for you? Weaving. Okay. Okay, good. Because we need weavers. You know, they're important. It doesn't matter that your father is a farmer and your mother is a beer maker. You know, there will be somebody else who will want to be pulled towards that. It doesn't have to be me because I'm the oldest daughter, whatever, you know? Um, so this, this, it's like a mosaic somehow of, of, you know. It connects. That connects, right? Yeah. Um, and that can like shapeshift. It doesn't have to, we're a kaleidoscope maybe. It doesn't have to be that, okay, over here are, are the green ones and they're the farmers. Like, no. This green one can come over here and be a, be a weaver. Um, yeah, like I said, you know, the whole, the, it takes a village to raise a child and it, it, it makes so much sense that it, it's the opposite as well. The child needs to know the village it was raised from. Like if it has taken a village to raise a child, then why does the child not know about the village? Why does the child not know that this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so? And why does that knowledge not continue to grow and not continue to provide for that child's growth? Like, because right now it feels like, okay, we use the village to raise the child. Now the child is being raised by the system. And now it's no longer a response. It's no longer taking the village because now Forget the village, even though the parents don't get to raise their child. The no. moment the child goes into a school, the child is no longer being raised either by the parents or the village, just being raised by the system. Embedded in. Because now, forget the village. There's no, there's no parental influence. Can you imagine that? Like, at the age of five, I get put into a school and from the from 9 a.m. in the morning till 6 p.m., I'm under the influence of a system which has zero influence, zero personal information, zero information about my past, about my parents, about their parents, about their ancestors, about what they did for the living, how they came to be, and what the land did for them, they did for the land. Nothing. On the contrary, I'm learning something about a land thousands and thousands of miles away, away. which could just be a mask for all I get. Mm-hmm. I mean, growing up in India, what happens in the U.S. Is, as, is, is the same as what happens on Mars. It makes absolutely no difference to my life. Right? And yet, I'm studying about their system. I'm studying about when Christopher Columbus went to the continent, you know, <laughs> beat up a few of the native Indians and then took over that land and then proudly proclaimed it theirs. And now, you know, it's... I thought it was in West Indies. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I mean, it's ridiculous if, if, if I think that I am spending, investing so many years of my education and I have absolutely no knowledge about my locality, my family, my community. The land I grew up in, the land they grew up in, we all contributed blood, sweat, and tears to across generations. I mean, I'm now a full-grown man who has zero knowledge about any of my ancestral heritage. 
right? I mean, it feels so empty. Like I am quite well read in the sense that I could travel to any place in the world and be very comfortable. Matter of no time, I could be comfortable and I could very happily establish myself in a completely different city or country across the world without a hint of nostalgia or like, oh my God, regret about leaving my home country. None whatsoever, hmm. right? And how is that possible? That's because I have zero roots. I have absolutely no roots, right? And it's almost like, also, this is why the system cut the roots off right from the beginning. So then they can yep. choose where to plant me as yep. a seed. Where do we so need you? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're the cogs of the wheel. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it links to what we were speaking about last time, I think, when we spoke about this aspect of survival skills. That again, the educational system doesn't actually provide me with survival skills. It provides me with skills. You know, I can do arithmetic and I can read and I can talk in English and I can, you know, do those things, sure. But I don't have the survival skills. I don't know how to, what plants I can eat around here, where I should grow stuff in my garden, what wood is good for chopping down and keeping for, for firewood and how long that takes and how big, you know, it's like, I don't get that. I don't learn how to weave and how to, so, so the survival skills aspect of education is as much not a part of it really as this place aspect is a part of the educational system. It is kind of a surface level. It is, again, it is this lacquer. It is this layer on top of us. It is this thing that we coat everybody with this thing and think, now we've got it down because everybody's been coated with this thing. Now we can start to relate. Yeah, it actually makes it harder to relate. Because if we all know the same stories, on a global level. How interesting is that? <laughs> it's like, yes. and, 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 you know, it's like, it is fascinating. This, this Americanization, North Americanization that is going on in at least Europe where, you know, you know, so much about the, about the U S about its presidents and about the states and about the civil wars and about this, that, and the other thing. And Africa is a country, you know, and Africa is fucking not a country. It is a huge continent of what? 42 countries. And I have the hardest time naming 10, you know, maybe I can, if I really, but he's like, and I don't really know where they're placed and, you know, don't even try to get me to mention the, the politicians of any country in Africa. I have a hard time knowing what the president or prime minister of, of, of India is not to mention <laughs> China. It's like, we don't speak about that thing. We, but we know, you know, I, I know the governor of the New York. It's like, how is that relevant? <laughs> right. How is that more relevant than me knowing 
who's in charge in Kenya or Uganda or South Africa? I have no clue. Even like, which of course might be that I'm, you know, just not interested in. Sure, but I think I'm quite generally, I'm, I'm probably quite mainstream that way. It's like it isn't pushed on us. It isn't as present. And which is strange, right? Because like, you know, the whole idea that almost all of Europe was built on all other indigenous cultures across the world, right? All the riches of the most beautiful cities and architecture and culture that you see in Europe is essentially taken, not even copied, it's stolen, literally like stolen from cultures across the world, right? And if anything, forget reparations, forget paying back the harm and the trauma. Like we make such a big deal about personal trauma inflicted generationally between parents and the family, mm-hmm. between parents and kids. What happens to countries, mm-hmm. right? What happens to countries, all of Africa, all of Asia is still reeling from that years of trauma of the past, right? Forget financial reparations, just accepting that, oh, guess what, we fucked up big time and we would love to make amends and, you know, maybe we can just start by being friends, right? Mm -hmm. So let me take a more deeper interest in your world. Tell me about your cultures. Let me accept that, you know, this kind of architecture that we've been using has been taken from this culture and we give, you know, you credit, let alone, you know. But I think that's a beginning. Like, that's what you said, right? In a world where, we start sharing stories with each other. We're like, oh, you know what? That is a beautiful story. Do you mind if I use that story in my story? Right? And that's exactly what it is. You don't have to steal it. You don't have to beat it out of me. You don't have to, like, knock me flat to take it away. Right? We share it. You give me some of your stories. I give you some of my stories. And if you want me to live the same life, you're living, that's actually a loss for both of us, right? That's a loss for both of us because right now, anywhere in the world, any child growing up in India watches the same sitcoms, watches the same TV shows, the Listens same movies. Listens to the same music. Ah, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, like, why? Whatever for? Like, how are you going to relate? What happens What happens to the place? Coming back to place, happens to the place, right? Anywhere in the world looks the same to me. Any airport in the world looks the same yes. to me. Any mall in the world looks the same to me. Why? Because they all stock the same brands. Yes. They all, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, like, and why is that happening? Why, and anyone who doesn't participate in this sort of a uniform culture takeover, is just pushed away and like mm-hmm. not spoken about. Like that's mm-hmm. why we don't speak about so many parts of the world because oh they don't even belong in the conversation. They don't belong. All we do is we take away their resources and then use them to homogenize the world. And and I feel like that's that's that that's where we're killing the place. We're killing the place. Yeah. We're not we're killing the place because the place is where stories come from. Yeah. So if you want to kill the story, kill the place. Yeah. 
right? It's very I, factually how do I look done. back? Yeah, I mean, like, we never got our independence. Like, if you look at it, India never really got our independence. We are still as dependent. Hmm. We're just dependent on different. We're not dependent on Britain anymore. We're dependent on, on the U.S., right, hmm. to tell us how to live our lives, what to do, what kind of education to get. And everyone is dependent on the same country. Everyone is dependent on the same culture. Even if you don't want to give the credit or the blame to a single nation state, it is still becoming a, a singular culture world over. Everyone worldwide is aspiring. You have Chinese kids aspiring to buy the same pair of Adidas or Nike shoes that, you know, that helps an NBA player in the U.S. wears. Why? I mean, like, we don't even play basketball. What, is, what sense does that make? Like, why? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. But then I wonder if this is all happening. The destruction of play, destruction mm -hmm. of the stories that unite us and hold us to the places wrong. And I was just, I was just thinking about getting a tattoo and I'm thinking, like, I've ha I have, should I get a Nordic tattoo? Should I get, like, a... Uh, a Japanese tattoo, should I get like a Maori tattoo? And and I just realized, oh my God, like I didn't consider getting an Indian tattoo even once. Like, it's which, never Which is really the only one that makes sense. <laughs> right? Honestly. So, it, it's, it's amusing that it's so deeply embedded in me. Look at me right now, I'm wearing like a Chinese. Sure, like, style, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, like it, it, it's it's something yeah. that it happens unconsciously, and I now the the fact that it happens unconsciously makes me even more curious. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why would it happen unconsciously? Because nothing is unconscious. Nothing is circumstantial. There is something riding. There's an underlying subliminal current that is changing the narrative of the world in. Now, the least we can do is, is it's not about, like, it, it doesn't even have to feel insidious like something evil is happening inside. But it's just a sense of, if I belong to a certain culture, to a certain land, to a certain place, and I think, you know, I'm really getting more uh, attracted to that word you brought in the place concept, mm -hmm. right? Until now, I didn't realize it was geographical. Right, but now when you mention it, the place component is it makes all the sense in the world. It's what everything connects to. Why would people in the Indian subcontinent wear ochre clothes? Because that's the dye they used, which was from the soil that they used to wash their clothes. Yeah. Oh, so that's why the color comes in place, right? Yeah. So yeah. why is the cow a holy animal? Because that is the animal that provides for majority of the, you know, of, of the villages, the rural world depends on that animal for, for, for tilling the soil, for providing dairy products, for nutrition, for a whole bunch of things. So it automatically becomes the most valuable, the MVP of the subcontinent yeah, yeah. of the animal kingdom here. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and now that you said it, I realized that the physical land that we exist on has all the connections that we see. Right? And 
and the moment we lose the connection with that with that soil with the place the land we belong to it, it is just, then we're rootless right then it doesn't matter i could belong here i could belong there i could stay here i could stay there it really doesn't make until i connect back and it 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 kind of makes me sad i mean the most effective way of breaking up a culture is to take the kids away from their parents and grandparents and, and their family and put them in a school where they don't learn the language, they don't learn the stories, they are effectively, roots are cut. And if you look at that going on still goes on a little bit today, even though maybe most of it was the past century, um, where you have these indigenous people where that is what Canada and the U.S. did. That is what is going on in, in, in many other countries, too. It's like China. Yeah, sure. Let's, you know, make sure that we, we stop this culture, this place from becoming a place where you can put down your roots. Let's cut that. But if you look at school, the educational system, it is still what it's doing, but, but not as obvious because I don't feel like I have a culture. I don't feel like I have roots that I have to, I don't have that. I can't do the, this is 10 generations back. There's no way. It's like, I can hardly remember. I don't know my paternal grandparents, parents name. I don't, I don't know their name. It's like shit. So I don't have that sense that I have anything to give. So of course here school, have my kids teach them what they need to know because I don't know it. Um, but we are perpetuating this thing. We are just continuing, 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 like going ever more bland. <laughs> so amusing to hear that word because I mean, let's think of it. Why did the Europeans travel all the way to India for spice? All people needed was spice because life was so bland, bland without spice. Nobody came here for gold and diamonds. Of course, that's what you took back, but that's not what you came here for. You came mm. here for spice. Mm. Life is so bland without wearing spices, right? Yeah. You want spices from India. You want spices from Mexico. You want spices from this corner of the world, from that corner of the world. You want cultures from, you know, Aboriginals in Australia, from the Amazonians in South America, right? You want culture, like that's what makes this world so damn colorful. It's like a smorgasbord yeah. yeah. of like flavors yeah. and colors and cultures. Like why on earth are we turning it into one and soup? Precisely, because you take all of that and just <laughs> mesh it together. It's like, nah, <laughs> sorry, but no. Um, but it, it makes me a year ago, 
February of 2021, I dove into something called uh, Daughters of the Flame for 21 days or something. Uh, um, American or Canadian woman, Tara Wilde, who has Irish ancestry, she, she's made this thing, Daughters of the Flame, which centers on Bridget, which is one of the goddesses of Irish, yada, yada. And, and she kind of pops up in Rome and God, you know, it's like really, really interesting. And I, I, I got more out of it than I thought I would. I didn't, but, but the thing that I got most of all, I think, is this fact that the, as far as I know, I don't have Irish ancestry. I don't have any Gaelic or Celtic, you know, that's not where I come from. So what, what that experience gave me, what this starting little bubbles of curiosity about what of the, the, what of the culture of this place? What of the gods of this place? What of the stories of this place? And I've done a little bit, but not nearly enough. And, and there is a, a, the bubbles are getting stronger. Let's put it that way for me to, to, you know, grow roots down or perhaps open up root chakra, opening up so that whatever is can come through about this place, about Sweden or Scandinavia, or it's like this specific part of Skewan of Sweden, but also kind of this, the culture of this region. It's like, so talking to you about this, it's like, I'm reminded that, yeah, I don't need to know more stories of Bridget. I need to know more stories of this place. I need to know. So maybe I need to know the Viking stories. Maybe I need to know the, the, and it's a little bit, maybe the Hanseatic, the, the German influence also because I'm so far down south that it's like so there's it's like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick some roots down and see what I find you know what's the flavor of this place what's the spice of this place what's the gods and goddesses of this space or place well, lovely like just the idea that you know when you know that this is, it's almost like it's your birthright. It's, it's your treasure. It's something that's genetically encoded in you because that's just how you've been, been raised and born, right? Unless you're, you know, like that's exactly what it is. It's just there inside of you. Like if I were to chant some Indian mantras to you, even if you like the tunes, it's something that it doesn't resonate. It may resonate from a sound perspective, but then if you listen to some ancient runes from your part of the world that may have a different kind of resonance, which feels more like home, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, you can go to a restaurant and try different kinds of food on a, once in a while, but it's not something you're going to eat every single day, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not something at the end of the day, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I had this because, you know, like you said, 
what did you like eating when you were a child right mm. like you go back to to mm. what you grew up with what you were nourished with what your roots truly were right like mm. no child in in india would have grown up eating cornflakes and milk mm. morning right but now every single kid in the modern city lands up you know waking up having a traditional american breakfast cornflakes and milk and orange juice and you know Regular, which is crap for you <laughs> exactly right and like how does how, how do we like you know like if if this sort of a sense of like again if i look at it like oh quinoa is a superfood so i'm going to go and get quinoa from south america it's not grown here why can't i look for a plant which is grown here which is local which provides you know local employment and you know continues the encourage the growth of that particular crop in the sand versus me wanting to find something just because it's exotic because it's trending because it's not available here it's like it's funny because the whole point of civilization growing up in cities was that you find things which are in abundance in a certain region in a certain place and you make that your culture you build your culture around mm-hmm. the resources yeah. that are abundant in that place Right mm-hmm. now, it's ridiculous that I want to find things that are scarce here, so that I can plant it and say, "Oh, you know what? This is not available here, but I got it all the way from South America, from Sweden, from Africa, mm-hmm. just because it's not available." I mean, mm-hmm. we're just flipping the whole city mm-hmm. building model on its head, and, right? And and you know, destroying a lot of resources with it. I, I'm. Um, I don't know if I, if I've told you this, but I'm part of a group here locally that goes to the local grocery shop. One person goes every day and, and takes home what they are throwing away because it's not fit to be sold. Most of it is still fit to be eaten. So we go there and, and buy what they have, you know, sorted out. And then we we put it out so that people in the neighborhood can come and, and buy it for, you know, a, a symbolic sum because it's important that there's a sum involved because there's still value in it and what we value in today's society is money. That's how we measure value, right? But I picked up the, that, the, the, it's like container dump string, but done in an adult way. It doesn't have to go into the container. We stop it before it goes in, right? So it's mostly vegetables and fruits because that's easiest um, to deal with. But I had tomatoes from, because I picked it up on Sunday. I had tomatoes like crazy and I, and bananas. So tomatoes and bananas. So I, you know, I, I got, people came and, and picked up most of the things, but when everybody had taken what they needed or bought what they needed, I still had a bunch of tomatoes and bananas left. So I made, um, I slow cooked the tomatoes in the oven for like three hours on 125 degrees Celsius, you know, a little bit of oil, a little bit of balsamic vinegar and some herbs and just, oh, and then I, I put it in jars and I keep it in the fridge because then I can take a little bit of that when I cook and it's just 
most delicious flavor. And I've been, you know, making little, I've cut the bananas and I've dried it in my food dehydrator. So now I have a bunch of, of banana coins, we call them in Sweden. <laughs> um, but it is absurd. It is fucking absurd that this shop is throwing away bananas and tomatoes that do not grow here. Bananas don't grow here, period. Tomatoes grows here, absolutely. But in January? No, it doesn't grow here in January. It is not possible, you know. And there's such a huge amount of it that it's thrown away because there's, you know, a little blemish on one of them or whatever. Most of it was just fine. And it's like, man, we are fucking with this system because it's I'm not supposed to be able to eat tomatoes and bananas and strawberries and you know it it is not from this place it is not from this place neither actually or timeline wise it's the wrong place <laughs> The wrong place. It's, it's the wrong place. It's like somewhere else. And 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 most of it I think are, you know, there's probably some place in the world right now where you can grow tomatoes and make them work, right? But but this was again, I my brother lived in Thailand for ten years and going there, visiting him how rare apples were was one of those tankispian moments for me because apples are so abundant here because guess what apples <laughs> grow here they don't grow now but i have stored apples in my attic from from this and from my mom's garden right so yes i actually can eat an apple now in january because i have them up in the attic that is this place. I don't know when apples came here and where they are, but they grow here, right? Thailand apples, <laughs> super exotic. You know, why would you buy a super exotic apple for a fortune when you can buy rambutan or the, the big guavas or, you know, all of those, the lychees and the, all of those delicious fruits that grow there. That, that's that place. That's, that's where the they place. come from. <laughs> and then I hadn't realized when my oldest was born, I became a part of a, uh, an online group, October 99, for kids born in October of 1999. Whoa. We're from all of Sweden. And, and there were 30 of us maybe when we were the most, and, and we're still in touch, many of us. But one of one of us lives way up in in the north of of Sweden, and I hadn't thought that far. But apples don't grow there. It's too far north. Apple trees don't grow. Like it doesn't work. So it should be as frigging exotic for her to have apples as it was for me in Thailand, but it isn't. And of course. It grows here, so it's easier to say that we can just 
kind of roll them north and, and it makes sense. So maybe not as exotic as in Thailand, but still it shouldn't be as abundant as it is down here because down here where I live, this is where you have the apple orchards. And, and, and it just, but I mean, you wouldn't go up to the north of Sweden and not find apples. That, you know, that's just absurd. But, but then thinking back at my parents, you know, oranges and apple, oranges and banana, those were rare occasions. And thinking back to my grandparents, even rarer, if even possible. You know, I'm not sure that my grandmother actually ate an orange or a banana when she was a kid. Maybe she did. Her parents definitely not. Potatoes, on the other hand, yeah. Plenty of those around, <laughs> even though they actually do come from, what, South America, right? It, yeah. 500 years ago. Johan Luva Ålström is the one who brought the potato to Sweden. But it works here, and it's become a part of this place. You know, there's this... When you, when you bring in the idea of food and place, it's like, you know, food grows from a place and food goes into the people who grow it, right? Like, in a sense, like, you are what you eat, right? Like, you are, literally, we all are what we eat, right? Like, I can change my moods just by changing my menu. It's mm. as simple as that. Mm. Like, I know on days when I'm going to eat something, I know, oh, okay. Next few days, I'm going to be a little antsy. I'm going to be a little hyper. I'm going to be a little sedate, right? I, I, I know by now what kind of foods, what kind of moods those foods induce it, yeah. right? And I, like, it's the nature of the people of that place is born from the nature of the foods that grow in that, right? And, and if, if you change the moods of the people in that place, we're essentially changing the culture. We're messing up everything yeah. Yeah. by messing up the food. All you got to do is just mess up what goes into that country's menu and you're messing up everything. And I, I use the word mess, you know, liberally because it is a mess, right? Like it's not something that's planned for a better outcome. It's not something that is done with a certain intent or design in mind it's just you know it comes back to that simple singular goal of homogenizing everything across the world i don't even know why that's considered like proud goal that everyone seems to be running helter skelter towards because we're already communicating in a singular language across the world which again is ridiculous why do we need to i mean in the past we needed it because you needed to communicate but now you don't because like now you have technology. Technology can give you real-time translation, right? I can be talking to you in a different language and maybe we'd have to wait, wait a minute or two, but we could still get to communicate with each other almost real-time if we had some sort of a translator between us. So we don't need, I mean, like English isn't your language, English isn't my language, and yet we're sitting here talking in English. Yeah. Why the fuck? Yeah. Right? It, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. Ugh. There's a lot to, 
to dive into in, in these aspects and concepts. And, and I was talking to Matthew and in my, what will be episode 38, this one will be 39. We were speaking about, um, language and accents and how accents are the attitude of a place. Right? And it is just fun to, to, to talk about that, how you're right. It's like the part of Sweden where I come from, we are, uh, the word in Swedish for Sävlig uh, Skåning, which kind of means people from the, the, this part of the country, which is called Skania, Skåne. Sävlig is a little bit lethargic. We're not very quick. We, you know, this is the part of Sweden where the soil is the absolute riches. So there's been abundance here. There's been a lot of good food, a lot of dairy, a lot of butter. It's, you know, it's rich stuff. And you get kind of slow. You get kind of lethargic when you've had one of those rich meals. You don't move about that quickly. You don't talk very fast. So you're slow. You know, we're big and burly and slow. That's the attitude of this place. And it, you can hear that in the accents from down here that are all very similar, but you know, there's, again, it can be really big difference between this part, even though Skewane is basically, it's a hundred by a hundred kilometers, almost. So you have the, the general tone of the accent down here, and then you have local variations. Uh -huh. But it makes perfect sense. This is, this is the place of kind of the slow Skewane. You know, it's like, it, it's easy, you know, we don't have to work that hard. It's not that much of a struggle because you can get some rich food quite easily. Um, so again, there's, there's, that also points to the seed aspect of, of the leaks. Like, okay, yeah, it, it makes sense. I'm from, from here. I am from here. You can tell in my body. It can, it shows. Um, and now we're going we, to neutralize the accent. Yeah, precisely. And now we're like, now we're every, nobody really is from a place. Nobody, you know, accents are dying out. Um, I mean, languages are dying out, but accents, more importantly, accents are dying out. Um, and it's like we're losing the spices, you know? We're losing the spices of, of, of language. We're losing the spices of place when we, like you say, we make everything bland. We just, everybody needs to speak the same way. Everybody needs to, to write the same way. It's like there's this, there's a right and a wrong. It's like there's, there's a, there's a recipe for how it's supposed to be. And if it isn't so, it's wrong. Um, 
Mm. That would be so boring. Imagine if there was only one way to make chili or a curry <laughs> or, you know, it's like curry is a perfect example because as far as I understand, curry means mix. Yeah. And every family had their own mix. Yeah. Based on the general spices of the region. Sure. But how much of this and how much of that? And maybe we'll throw in the surprise. <laughs> spice into it to make it just unique for our family. This is our spice mix for when we make curry. Um, but it's like, no, no, you buy it in the shop instead. And, and maybe you can, they all taste kind of the same. Maybe <laughs> you can, in Sweden, you can get milder curry or actually you can get curry. You can get hotter curry. <laughs> But that's it. You know? It's like... Mm. Even here, it's ridiculous because, like, if you go to a restaurant and you just say, I want it, like... <coughs> excuse me. They just use the same... The same masala is used. If you ask for a different style of preparation, they just put more masala or they put less masala. But it's the same masala. They don't really have... A variety of masala, right? And it's just it's just growing. Like, I think where I come from, we probably have like a hundred different chutneys, if not more. A hundred different chutneys. And like I have growing up, I've eaten more than a hundred different varieties of chutney. But if you go to a restaurant today and you ask for different chutney, you will only get two varieties of chutney, at the most mm. three. Right. And that is ridiculous. There are over a hundred varieties. And that's just in the ones I have tasted. If I were to expand that beyond my family to a, you know, a larger geographical area, it would easily be a thousand different varieties. Easily, effortless. And you go any any restaurant across South India, ask for a different kind of chutney, you will get at the most three to four varieties. If you go anywhere in North India and ask for a chutney, you will only get one variety. That's it. Yeah. And that's it. Because that's not what that place provides. Mm. And I mean, it's India is an interesting aspect on this because India is, like we said, is such a huge country that wasn't a country. You know, it was very many little kingdoms and lorddoms and I don't know everything what it was, you know. What is there, 21 official languages or something like that? Oh, I have no idea myself, but yeah. Something like that, because you have these regions that were, maybe one of those was a country, but more likely it was a, a jumble of countries or little places that were very much their own. So you have within the one country of India, the variety is just huge. The number of places is huge. Skewana or Sweden is a much smaller country. It's a long country and it's long going north-south. So you have geographical differences mm -hmm. that are quite apparent. If it had been sort of east-west, 
probably the geographical differences wouldn't have been as as apparent because it's kind of on the same, you know, what with sun and light and 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 temperatures and stuff. But but it's much more uniform, even because it's just a tiny. If you put Sweden on India, it's a tiny little speck. You know, it's like it's along. Maybe it's along the from like. Mumbai down to 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 the tip, maybe along there, but it's like, well, it's India. I don't know. It's easily ten times bigger than Sweden, easily. Um, so so the the number of like you say, the variety that is just there in the place, staggering. I think there are like 300 recognized languages. I don't know about the official ones, but easily 300 recognized, accepted, on-record languages. Leave us right, the dialects and the smaller Koreans, etc. And it, it is incredibly diverse. Like, even if you take, like, it doesn't matter, even if you have the same recipe, if you use food as a parameter, like, it varies so much and like you're so right about the idea of families this is where like the family becomes the bastion the safeguard of that particular recipe the whole grandma's recipe kind of a trope becomes so real and yeah. it's like it's, it's it's like it's blasphemy to even scoff at the idea because it's true like yeah. it's your grandma's recipe is your grandma's recipe that is the it's like the family jewels, right? If I would speak, like it's exactly that. It's that precious. It's like, oh my God, like this is our family's recipe, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's where it hurts. Like, and it's funny that it hurts me because like I have, I never grew up with any of that. I couldn't care less. I, I didn't even meet my grandma on the side. And it, it didn't matter to me. I never ate anything that they cooked because of you. I'm not going to eat what you people cook. I just want stuff that was it like i didn't have any sort of connection towards the past whatsoever but now when i look back at what are the possibilities that lie because like when you start traveling in fact that's what i did when i i turned 16 i was like this is ridiculous like i have read i have all these facts about my country india is this many thousand kilometers it goes from here to there this is the northernmost tip this is the southernmost tip this is the easternmost westernmost I had all the facts in my head, supposedly being an educated individual, but I didn't have a freaking clue about my country, none whatsoever, absolutely nothing. And so I said, fuck this. I packed up my bags. I left home and I spent the next two years backpacking, crossing. I would just hitchhike. And I had a little map. Of India, that was all I left with. One map of India, and every single day I would choose. I would say, okay, I'm going to go from here to here, and then go stand on the highway, hum a ride, and say, all right, anyone going this direction? And that's how I would be. I would just keep traveling. I would talk to people. I had no idea what I was doing. I was stoned out of my skull. And yet I knew one thing that I was doing right was I, I belonged to this place. How is it possible that I, you know, I studied all of these places. Mm. I've seen these places on a map. I can rattle out the names of the states and their capitals and their 
their GDP and the numbers and the census and the population. But I don't know anything about these places. I haven't lived there, I haven't been there. So that's what I did. I spent two years traveling across the length and breadth of the country. Mm. And today, I still don't speak half those languages. I still don't speak my own native tongue. But I know one thing that I have been through every nook and cranny of this place. And I know what the, the, the vibe of India, I know what the sentiment of the people of this place have, right? Because I've experienced each and every one of them. I've experienced the food, I've experienced living with the people. I've, I sat with them, I've read with them, I've shared jokes with them, I've listened to their stories. You know, I've laughed at their jokes. Just an experience that I know Deep down inside of me, any part of the country, if I travel to today, I know I belong here because I have been to that. And this is my land, maybe not that specific region, but even if I don't belong to that region, I have traveled to that region, I have lived with the people of that region, they have accepted me as a guest, and that is enough for me to experience the love of the people. And I think... And that's why today I, I, I don't feel any, not even iota of urge that, oh, what if I could move to this country? What if I could move? Because like every other person right now is like, ah, oh, you know, things are not good here. We should go somewhere else. And I don't feel that at all because like, like you said, it's incredibly diverse. Like, even if I have a single complaint about the place I live in, there are a hundred different places a stone's throw away from here that can cater to the whims and fancies of, you know, my eccentricities for that day. And considering that travel is so easy, I can get anything delivered across the country in a span of a few hours. I could be at one extreme of the country in the span of a few hours. Like how would I, and why would I give up this luxury? Right, like today, if I want to be in the Himalayas, right now it's 4.50 in the evening. If I pack up my bags, rush to the airport, I can be there by 9 p.m. Yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah. I could be in desert. I could be in rainforest. I could be... By the ocean. I could be anywhere, right? If I feel like eating momos in the Himalayas today, I can go do that. Like, what? Like, how cool is that? So... I don't know. I mean, like, I'm really grateful. I'm glad you pointed that out. I'm really grateful for the diversity of this place that I, I am inhabiting right now. And, and I think that that's just one of the things that I will probably spend the rest of my life now exploring, discovering. And one of my resolutions for 2022 is to learn to cook, right? And... The reason for that is not survival, but I've found that food is what makes us happy. It's the easiest way. It's the easiest way to make an individual happy. And I feel like all the philosophy, all the fun, all the joy that I want to spark in the world, all of that fails in comparison to the satisfaction on a person's face satisfied right and I think that that's where I want to start from that's something I've missed out on so I'm coming back to square one I'm coming back to ground zero I want to learn how to cook 
And that is something that brings me back to what you said about the place. So I'm going to start taking up recipes from my family, from my region, from my community. Maybe I'll even pick up a language along the way. <laughs> Maybe you will, because that was the one thing that I, it, it is so interesting because um, when I was in India working um, outside of Mumbai, we had, um, we had a driver that was a, a fun young guy. Um, and he, he, he said the same thing you do. He speaks, he speaks about my native, you know, my native language, my village. He hasn't lived in that village. His parents haven't lived in that village. It's the village of his great, of his grandparents and great grandparents, etc. They go back there and you know, we were in Mumbai and I think it was down in Kerala or the one that's next to Kerala. So down South. Um, and, and I, it would just, it was such, so interesting to me to hear him speak about this as this is my village. This is my people. This is my stuff. When he actually, it isn't his, and you do the same. You speak about your native tongue. Native for me is the tongue that you grow up speaking. Sorry, Reddy, if you <laughs> grew up speaking English, English is your native tongue, you know, <laughs> but you speak about it as if this is what it, because it was for your parents and their parents, etc. So you have, I'm generalizing heavily now based on two, two fungi, <laughs> uh, this, this link to place, link to language, link to people in a way that, that I don't really experience. We speak about here in Sweden because my mom, her parents were born way up north in Sweden. I don't consider that my place. I don't consider Norland, you know, that I don't know. But, but you kind of do. Um, so there's something to, to you two Indian guys experience that, that still links you deeper or more emotionally to the place of your ancestors than what I experience, not just based on my experience, but based on what I hear about Sweden. So your native tongue. <laughs> it's English. It is English. <laughs> but you don't think that. You don't feel that. Your native tongue is, what was it? Tar? Telugu. Telugu. Mm. It's strange, right? I mean, like I have been like in my, inside of me, I think I, I speak English. Like, and if I converse, I'm like always like, I, I travel across India and I'm like speaking different languages. I move up north, I'm speaking Hindi, I come down south, I'm speaking Tamil, I'm speaking Kannada, I'm speaking, you know, like, and yet the entire processing is happening in English. Hmm. Right? So it, it's like, the, it, I feel like an Englishman in India at times because I just, I don't relate, but then I think. I would probably give the credit to those few years that I spent traveling the country because now I feel like an Englishman who's come back to the land where he 
belonged. Right. And now I don't feel like I, I can, I can relate with the people. And I realize that the tongue, it's the, it's the language I can use to connect with a certain region. So today when I think of language, and the only reason I continue calling that my native tongue is because that's the language I can use to relate with my community, but I can't because I can't speak the language. So when I meet them, I meet my relatives. I have no clue what they're saying. And I cannot profess, you know, any sort of emphatic emotional exchange with them. I can just have some sort of a very cursory, yeah. blunt surface level. Hello, experience. how are you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Right? And, and the beauty of language, I've realized, is that you just need a few words sprinkled at the right place at the right time to make that connect between yeah. two individuals. I don't need to speak the language fluently, but I need to know certain nuances that, like you said, the dialect reflects the attitude of people, right? So if I know those finer aspects of the accent or the dialect, which, which then connects me to them, right? If I speak in a certain accent, then they accept me, right? If I speak in your accent, you would accept me right off the bat, right? Otherwise, if I spoke in a perfectly clinical Swedish accent or in sweet yeah. language you would just be like oh this is just a wannabe who's kind of trying to get to know us and trying to like pretend like he knows it all or that he belongs in but if i had those few nuances of the accent or the dialect down pat you'd be like oh he's one of us right it would just like just off the bat i'm welcomed in into your homes into your hearts Right. But if I just speak the language, if I learned it at university and I just came down and I'm just trying to, you know, show off my command of the language, you're just going to be like, whatever. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to invite me. No, it's me a, it's a rootless way of knowing the language in a sense. Because it, it lacks the roots. It lacks the roots. I mean, and that also happens when people move away from a place. So people who have come to Sweden, who, you know, well, they moved from Italy 20 years ago or from Afghanistan 10 years ago or from, they came from Poland 50 years ago. If they actually still speak the language, it's the language of Poland 50 years ago. It is not what you speak in Poland today. So, so there's... So it's, it's, again, it's kind of cut, cut off from the natural evolution of, right? So, so it's, it's apparent that, okay, you do have roots, but sorry, those roots are 50 years old. A lot has happened since then. So, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a both and relationship in that way too. It, it's like languages evolve. And if I'm not in a, with the language. I don't keep up with it. My brother lives in the UK now. He's lived in the US and he's lived in Thailand. So he moved away from Sweden in September 1990. So for more than half of his life, he's lived outside of Sweden. He still has a really, really good grasp of Swedish. He's a, he's a, well, he, reads a lot 
and he listens a lot and he still keeps up with Swedish news and, and stuff because he's interested in, in the world that way. So even though he doesn't speak Swedish on a regular basis at home, his Swedish is good. But I, and I can't pick up on if his Swedish is like 30 years old because he's still so much in it. But I know that it's happened now and again that I've mentioned somebody, an actor, or and he's going blank because he doesn't have a clue. Um, so there's tiny instances where it's apparent that his roots are actually old roots. It's not continuously growing. Um, but yeah, it makes me curious to, to see what will happen with you, if you will. <laughs> what you will learn about you and about your roots when you start to cook and then maybe when you also start to find stories, starts to find language, start to, to flesh that out a bit, expand, um, start to relate to in a way that you haven't before. And I think it's going to be actually very interesting because the fact that I chose cooking as a medium to connect means I'm going to be connecting with the women of the family, yeah. which means they're closer to the roots than the men. If I were to even start speaking to them in the language, it would still revolve around current politics and sports. Yeah. Right. Whereas the moment I move into the kitchen, it's going to be around recipes which are old, which should move back rather than in the present moment. Mm. Right. And two is the fact that being in the kitchen means you're going to be catching up on gossip. Mm. And gossip, while moving backwards, like the recipes are moving backwards, time towards the roots. But the gossip is moving towards, like you said, the actors, the actresses, the pop culture, the president sends the jokes, the memes, the local, you know, regional jokes that are happening. Like, I feel like that is a, like the kitchen is always the hub of culture, right? In India, if you look at it, if you look at the rural houses, the kitchen is the center of the house. Right, the kitchen is the center and there's this large courtyard, empty space in the middle of the house, which is open to the sky. And that's where the spices are prepared. That's where the masalas are made. That's where the vegetables are being chopped. It's like an open space where it's not the kitchen, but that's essentially where everything is happening. Everything around food is being made, prepared and bottled and you pickles and everything is happening in that space right so there's the sense that the kitchen or the that becomes the hub of the home that's where all the action is that's where all the women are hanging out that's where all the gossip is exchanging like stories are being traded right and i feel like by tapping into that space it's no longer the same today's modern kitchens are very very different than not they're just one little room in the house like any other modern architecture but I feel like that that ethos of the kitchen still relates to a certain extent. Still women are like, oh, I know the secret. I'm not going to tell you. 
okay, fine. You tell me that one, I'll tell you this one, right? So there's this sense of like an exchange, a cultural exchange of sorts still happening in the modern home. And it only happens in the kitchen. So what are the women that you will be seeking out? Is it sisters? Is it your mother? Is it aunts? Who will you be seeking out? That's a big question. I have absolutely no clue, but I know one thing. All I need to do is attend the wedding in the community. <laughs> and then I'll be like, oh, aren't you going to invite me home? Set. And then they're going to... Yes. See? <laughs> yeah. So when is there a wedding going on? I have no idea. No, that's where I need to get my ears to the ground and you figure out when something's get... happening yeah. in the family. Yeah. And, yeah. and I feel like, like I've always avoided weddings because I was like, oh my God, I'm not into this archaic institution and I just like you no way but I realize now that it it makes all sense because it doesn't it is really not an Indian wedding is not a wedding a marriage of two individuals like it's just a connection between two communities that come together and now become a part of a larger right so it is the least about those two individuals and yeah. it is everything to do with everything around them right so if I want to get into the community, that's my way in. I get in there, I get invites, and then they start inviting me home, and they invite me for, if they might be home, it's going to be for lunch or dinner, which means they're going to prepare food, and then I'm going to be, I come in there, I eat the food, and then I ask them a little question, how did you make this? And they'll be like, oh, oh I did this, I did that. And I'll be like, can you show me how? And then they take me into the kitchen, and they start, like, you know, showing off the magic secret recipes. Yeah. And that's my it. That's your <laughs> well. I look forward to 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 hearing the the next steps of this uh, exploration because that's really what it is. Um, it is you sticking down roots. Cool and in the funnest, easiest way possible. Because I just yes. start by eating, and then that gradually takes me into the cooking. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's 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 like it's an it's an open, expansive way of doing it because you don't you haven't figured out. I need to talk to this person and I need to learn how mm. to make this chutney. It's like it's rather, you know, you're it's like you're fishing in a sense. It's like oh, I'll throw in a couple of like hooks and lines and sinks and stuff here and see where will, you know, something will bite. Um, and then off you go. Um, yeah. I look forward to that. Maybe that's a good place to end this. Having everybody else also go, oh, I wonder what he will come and say next time. Has he begun anything? What's that secret recipe of the chutney? <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Keep watching. Precisely. 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 <laughs> See what this place is. Thank you, Ready. It's thank you so much. This was an incredible conversation. I feel like these are these are thoughts that a lot of them were like, you know, just ephemeral thoughts. There would be stuff that think of and they would just disappear because I haven't really even attempted to actually sink because 
like I have grown up rootless and this is absolutely, this is probably the most intense introspection into that right? Everything else has been a realization more than an introspection. Mm. This conversation has been an introspection. Otherwise, it's more like a realization. I land up not being able to speak a language and I'm like, oh, I don't have roots. Oh, I should have learned this as a kid. Oh, I don't mm. know this. So everything that I've spoken about has been more born out of a circumstantial realization. But everything we're speaking about now in real time has been the actual intellectual introspection. Why? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I look forward to seeing where it takes you. And I can inhale and imagine that I'm standing there awash in spices that just, whoa. Because I'd have to say there's probably some part of me that has Indian heritage because the Indian spices, the Indian kitchen, and, and that is generalizing heavily. But, <laughs> but I do, it is my favorite kitchen, uh, you know, uh, turmeric and... and uh, Let's see, spinach come caraway and, you know, it's like, ooh, and garlic and cinnamon and cardamom and, ooh, love, love, love those spices. Ginger, not to mention ginger. Love it. So enjoy your forays into the world of your native kitchen. And with it, perhaps your native language as well. Thank you so much for rekindling the fervor for flavor and, you know, inciting that enthusiasm to go in and dig further. And I feel like this is such a deep conversation because it, almost all conversations are about growth and growth is considered as something outward. Right, but this is what we miss out often on is the fact that growth comes from the roots that go down deep in, yeah. not yeah. the leaves spread out. Yeah. Cool. You make a great sun Saturday. Saturday today. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I will make sure that I send you the first recipe. That I make myself. <laughs> yes. Yes. Do. Awesome. Excellent. Thank Bye, you so my friend. Bye-bye. Yes. Big hugs.